Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. In the pastoral prayer this morning. Oh, Heavenly Father, we praise you. God, we acknowledge that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And you is all wisdom and power and glory. Jesus, you are our Savior, our King, our priest, our Lord, and our friend. Apart from you, we would remain dead in our transgresses, transgressions and hostile to the Father. We freely give you our worship and praise, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are our comforter, our teacher, our seal of certainty that we are all for eternity the children of God. Apart from you, we would not know Jesus. Apart from you, we wouldn't understand the word or the life that you offer through Christ. We praise you, God, our triune God, three and one. As we come before you, we ask that you would forgive us, Lord, of the sin that clings so closely to us. Our thoughts, our words and deeds, they they often reflect the, the world, the fallen world around us. They reflect the fallen world more than they reflect the new heart that you've given us. We ask that you would forgive us, Lord, that you would cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness as you promised to do. Holy Spirit, work out of us day by day our our sin nature and replace it with our new nature in Jesus. We thank you that you tell us in Isaiah 118, though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. We pray now for our president and our vice president and the Senate and the House and governors and mayors and leaders all around, Lord, that you would turn their eyes towards you. That you would grant them wisdom to rule well, give them understanding that you alone, God, are the true king. We ask that you would cause them to submit to you, that you would humble their pride and bring them under your leadership. Lord, we pray today, um, Sanctity of Life Sunday, that our government would recognize all are made in your image, and are precious in your sight from the very moment of conception. Lord, you've known us from before conception. You've knit us together in our mother's wombs, and we're precious to you. We pray for those contemplating abortion, that you would show them a different way, that you would raise your church up around them and and help us to give us wisdom to, to show them a different way. Would you heal those who have had abortions and And bring your church around them to love them and give us wisdom to address the crisis before us. We pray for the the Pacific Pregnancy Clinic, Lord, and all the board and and staff and the volunteers. Lord, give them endurance for the, the race that you have set them to run. We ask that you would provide financially for this ministry and, and raise up volunteers to support in every area that is needed there, Lord. 
Lord, as we now turn to your word, we ask that you would enable us to hear, to read, to learn, and to digest your word so that we may grow into maturity. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would apply this word to our lives, awaken the sleeper, save the lost, strengthen the weak, and give us all boldness to proclaim your word. Lord, I ask that you would give me the ability, grant me the ability to preach boldly so that Jesus, you are magnified and your gospel is clear. In your precious name we pray, amen. All right, kiddos, you are released. Everyone else, if you will, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. As Dan read this morning, we are in Acts chapter 6. Like I say every week, if you don't have a Bible, there's one around you. I want you in the Word with me. I want you um, looking at the Word and reading the Word and digesting the Word. As we read the book of Acts, we've seen so far, it's, it's, it's this exciting account of the early church. Uh, from the very beginning, it starts off with Jesus and he's teaching about the kingdom. Uh, he's, he ascends into heaven at the right hand of the Father. We, we see the coming of the promised Holy Spirit and the power that's given to the church. And they go out and, and we see it explodes with growth. And thousands are coming to know the Lord Missionary journeys begin and they work out the Great Commission and what Jesus has told his disciples to do in Acts 1-8 to, to be his witness from Judea or from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. We see the Jewish people turning back to God. They're repenting and, and returning and, and following Jesus as their Messiah. And then we see the gospel going out into the nations. It's, a, it's an exciting account of what is happening in the early church. But we also see the persecution of the early church by the religious leaders we see Ananias and Sapphira, they seek to deceive God and the church around them. And now that we round the corner and we get to Acts 6, we see that there's this rift forming. It potentially uh, is a dangerous, divisive issue. If we know anything about church growth and we know anything about uh, building up the kingdom of God, we know that there's going to be issues. We know that cultures come together, uh, different cultures come together, and they gr- they're going to clash. Uh, we, just, we know that uh, there will be constant problems because people are involved, right? And we're all sinners. And just like James says in James 1, 14 and 15, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, it brings forth death. And the same goes for churches, right? We're lured and we're enticed by our own desires, and that starts to tear the church apart if we allow it. But if we're going to successfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to faithfully apply it to our lives. So gospel proclamation goes hand in hand with gospel application. We have to be doing both. 
And then we're going to see that today. And, and that begins with getting our priorities straight. We need to get our priorities straight. What is the most important parts of what we're called to do? And then we need to play our part. And those things are going to work together. God's going to work with those things and increase the word. And the church will grow as he promises it will. But first we have to get our priorities straight. So let's look at the first problem that challenges this priority or the priorities of the church. Look at verse 1 in Acts 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So as the church increases... Uh, our differences start to increase. The cultures change, and, and those differences, they start to clash. So the Hellenist widows were being neglected by the Hebrews uh, in the daily distribution. The distribution of what we saw just in Acts 4.35, that everyone, they were selling all of their possessions, and they were bringing them, they were laying them at the apostles' feet, and they were distributing them as many had need. And, and as they were um, handing those needs out, or those, those items out, or whatever they were, the Hellenist widows were being neglected. The Hellenists, if you were wondering what does that even mean, they were the Jews that had adopted the Greek language. Uh, they've taken it up. They speak Greek. They speak, uh, or they would have adopted the citizenship of Rome and its customs. And the Hebrews, on the other hand, were the Jews that spoke Hebrew or they spoke Aramaic and they held closely to the Jewish culture. So you see that there's these two cultures, the Jewish culture, um, the, the Hebrew culture, and the Greek culture. And they come together in the church and they clash right off in the beginning. And it's no surprise that they clash. Uh, when Nikki and I got married, her being from California and, and I being from the great state of Texas... I was waiting for amen. I didn't, I didn't hear that. Amen. But our cultures clashed and, and sometimes violently clashed. Not That sounded bad. Uh, not, never physical. Uh, but they clashed early on in our marriage. There were things that she grew up uh, seeing and doing and saying and hearing that I had never seen or heard or said or, or done. So uh, they clashed. And, and, and just like in marriage, that conflict had to be dealt with early on in the church. They immediately had to deal with it or it was going to divide the church. And it was contrary to what the gospel was preaching, that it unites all nations under the, under the gospel of Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. They're united because of Christ, not because of similarities, Right? And what this neglect of the Hellenist widows exposes early on in the church is the heart of the Hebrew Jews. The Hebrew Christians, they didn't see the Hellenist Christians on the same level as they were. Even if in, mentally, if they would have said, yes, they're, they're one in Christ, they were not acting as if they were one in Christ. Maybe they still had held prejudices against them. Maybe they didn't like them because they adapted those culture, or to that culture, but they were not seeing them as one in Christ. Paul addresses the same issue in Galatia. 
He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's saying, you are united now, Jew and Greek in Jesus Christ. You're one body. And this neglect of the Hellenist widows was contrary to the Lord's call all throughout Scripture to take care of the widow, to take care of the weak. And, and so as they're not living out that calling, they're living contradictory to the Christian life. Widows back then, were, they were usually left alone. There was no one to take care of them. They more than likely were not going to get remarried. They were left without financial support. They had to work, and if they were not able to work, then they, were, they would have trouble eating. So the Hebrews, neglecting these widows, they were abandoning them to fend for themselves. That's not the heart of Christ. It's never been the heart of Christ. One of the major sins, I think, of the church today is how we prioritize groups over other groups, generations over other generations. We think we need to just attract the younger generation because they're our future. And yes, they're very important But in prioritizing the younger, we are sinning greatly against the elderly. We're called to care emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally for every single person in our congregation, in our care. We are not to prioritize anyone. We must always be careful to minister to the full body of Christ, young and old, rich and poor, we're one in Christ. And any type of division in the church must be dealt with immediately or it's going to corrode the church from the inside out. It's going to eat the church. It's going to create bitter roots in the church. So we have to work to recognize prejudices in our own hearts and in our own minds and in our own congregations. And we have to work to provide for those who seem to be overlooked in the congregation and in our community of believers. And this means that we should all be looking out for each other. We've seen that all throughout the book of Acts so far. We're only in chapter 6, and they're looking out for everyone. No one was with, or everyone was without need. If someone is getting overlooked, bring it up, or better yet, minister to that person. The second problem that arises, and it arises from the first, is the neglecting of preaching for service. So look at the text. We'll get a running start. We'll just start at the beginning. We haven't gone very far anyway. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, they're not saying service is unimportant. They're not saying service is the second-rate uh, ministry. It's, that's not what they're saying. In fact, Jesus says the way that we show that we love one another is by caring for one another. The way that we show that we are, we've heard, and we've believed, and we're disciples of Jesus Christ is how we care for one another. Service in the church is critical it has to be done, but you, I can't love you into heaven. 
I cannot serve you into uh, sanctification. I cannot live around you enough so that you come to know Christ. You have to hear the word of Jesus Christ. You need to hear the gospel. So those tasks with preaching cannot replace preaching with service. Some have made the mistake in Christianity to exalt the, the social justice or social gospel or, or taking care of the poor and the widow over the preaching of the word, but they can't be separated. These things are, or they have to be together or, or we're presenting an incomplete picture of the gospel. Preaching without action, it's only lip service. An action without preaching is simply charity work. It has no eternal value if it doesn't end in the gospel. So the apostles, they say, it's not right for us to give up preaching to serve tables because they were called by Jesus Christ himself to preach the word. He called them out and said, you are going to be my witnesses. You are going to tell the people. You're going to make disciples. That's your purpose. And just as they had been saying to the religious leaders all throughout the book of Acts, we must obey God rather than men. And they're saying here, we cannot. I know the demand is great, but God has called us to preach the word and pray, and we have to do that. The gospel has to be preached, we see in Romans 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But how will they know or, or how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him if they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they, had all, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul tells Timothy the same thing. He tells him in second, his, his last letter to Timothy, he, he tells him, he prioritizes, preach the word, Timothy. You need to preach the word. You need to be ready in season and out of season. You need to reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That is your priority. You need to preach the word. And as for you, he says, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is your purpose, he says. The same goes for the church. I cannot stop preaching because I've packed my schedule so full of everything else, I don't have time to preach to you. I am called to preach to you the word of Jesus Christ as my first priority. If I do not do that, I am neglecting and disobeying what God has called me to do. So what about the rest? What, does that mean all I do is sit here and study? No. Does it mean I only work on Sundays? Some think so. I don't. <laughs> we have elders and deacons, the body of believers, to carry, to help the church carry the load of ministry. In Acts, we see this church structure growing. We see the body of Christ growing. It's being built up. 
from different cultures, different people. Now we see different roles opening up. Things need to happen. John Calvin, he says, now we learn from this story. First of all, that the church cannot be formed all at once in such a way that nothing remains to be corrected. And that an edifice of such a massive size cannot be finished on the first day so that nothing needs to be added to make it perfect. He's saying this, this, the church that's going to minister to the world around us is going to have every nation, every tongue. Um, it's going to be huge, and, and it can't just happen in one setting. It's going to grow. It's going to develop. So as the church grows, needs develop And so we all have to play our parts. Look at the text, starting in verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples. And he said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. We'll just stop there. Notice um, that the congregation of disciples was included right off the bat. They were included in selecting leaders for this ministry of mercy, this ministry of service. It was up to the believers to present men to the apostles that they thought that they would be great for this position, to, to serve, to help serve. As a gathering of disciples, the apostles, they ask, um, recognize people around you that would be good at leading this ministry to the widow so that no one is being missed, so that we can minister fully to the body around us, the thousands and thousands that are being added. And we should be doing the same thing. We should be recognizing the gifts of those who are around us. We need to be raising people up into the ministry that, uh, the ministry that they're called to. If you know someone who is, who is good with kids, connect them with Kai. Tell them, hey, go talk to Kai. You're great with kids. You can minister to kids. If you know someone who's good with electronics, tell them to talk to Bill. Go talk to Pastor Bill. Someone with music, Roberta, if you know someone who's hospitable or, or service-oriented, just connect them with us so that we can minister to the body around us. We need to wake up to the, the understanding, to the priority of church ministry, that this is what we're called to do as the body of Christ. And it looks different for all of us. Is a little bit different. But the ministry before us, it's, it's massive. It's, it's huge that we have so many people and we miss people and, and we all need to be participating so that everyone in our midst gets ministered to. No one gets missed. Notice that the men for the position, they were to be from among the believers They didn't say, go find seven random people that are really good at organizing. God is going to provide within the church who he needs to do that ministry. So it implies that they themselves were disciples. And the people knew who they were. And and notice the character that is required of these men. Look at verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourselves, from among you, seven men of good Repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we'll point to this duty. Verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, 
Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. Paul lays down similar guidelines in, uh, for deacons later on in, in 1 Timothy. He says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. To lead in the church, the church is not looking for strong leaders as the world would see them. They're looking for leaders who are of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom. Good character removes that person from being a stumbling block before others. If you don't have good character, if you are falling into sin, people are going to stumble over you before they get to the cross. They're not going to follow you in the church if you are not leading as a godly leader. Being full of the Spirit removes the leader as a stumbling block for themselves. If I'm full of the Spirit, I'm fully relying on Him and not my personality or how well I lead. I'm leading because I trust Him. A good leader in the church loves the Lord and relies on the Lord to build his church. And when these leaders are put into place, it frees the apostles up to go back to what Jesus told them to do. Look at verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And they, verse 6, set before the apostles those men, and they prayed and laid hands on them. We've already seen the character for the apostles in Acts 1. So they needed to pick one to replace Judas. And, and one of the men, they say, who had accompanied, accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. It's the fact that these men were with Jesus, they walked with him, they witnessed his resurrection, they witnessed his ascension, that they were placed in that role as apostle. They played a, a unique and very specific role in the church, in the early church, in the grand story of redemption. We don't have apostles anymore. We have sent ones, that's what apostle means, but we don't have big A apostles like these men were. They played a very specific role, and their duty was to preach and pray. If the disciples decided to only serve, or the apostles decided we're just going to serve and we're not going to talk about the message of the cross or the resurrection, they would only be making the trip of hell or to hell a little more comfortable, and they would have been found disobeying what they were very they were called to do by Christ. The word had to be preached, or it just became another social club with no real future beyond this life. The apostles 
They had to dedicate themselves to prayer. This is what Christ did as as he ministered. He would dedicate himself to prayer and he would preach the kingdom of God. He tells us in, in Luke 4, if you remember, I'm sure you have Luke memorized by now. He says, I can't go on healing because the purpose for which I was sent was to preach about the kingdom. I need people to know about the kingdom. And that's what the apostles had to do. Now, as the church continues to grow beyond the scope of the apostles and out of, out of Jerusalem, the office of elder was developed for the ministry of ministering of the word and prayer. Those preaching and teaching ministry, they're also held in high standard. We see in Acts, I don't know why Acts, all of that's there. Maybe I'll get to it. Um, in 1 Timothy 3, it says, let me get there. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard but violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the God's church? Must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and to a snare of the devil. So this high character, and James even warns in, in James 3.1, uh, not everyone should teach or preach uh, because they're held to a higher standard. So the elders, uh, as the church grows, are held to a high standard because they're declaring the word of God. And not only are they declaring it, but they better be found uh, applying it to their lives or they're just hypocrites and resounding gongs. The elder must be praying for the ministry, must be playing, praying for the believers, for the community, for the word to go forth uh, because it, it reveals that they're not relying on themselves but on Christ to build his church. But the elders can't completely do their job if they do not prioritize the ministry of the prayer, of praying, and of ministering the word, but also if they're the ones doing everything else. So the apostles say, we need to raise up other people. And this brings us to the disciples. And it brings us to what does a disciple even look like? This is what we've learned this far in Acts. This is why this is here. You're a student of the word. First off, disciples are students of the word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. So as an individual, set yourself at the feet of Jesus Christ. Read deeply of the word. Read it yearly. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Read it day after day. Read books about it. Ask questions about it. But be a student of the word. Devote yourselves to the apostles' teachings. Become a regular attender at church. Do you know the average American Christian, average American Protestant Christian, 
comes to church less than twice a month. Less than twice a month. We have to be students of the word first. Being a student of the word is your duty as a Christian. That's what you're called to do, to know the word, to know the the Lord of the word, to live in obedience to him. That's why we call him Lord, because we're going to obey him. He's our master. But if you do not follow him or know him or read his word, how can you call yourself a disciple of his? Secondly, a disciple should be in fellowship with other believers. Day by day, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and day by day, breaking bread in their homes. They were together. This is gathering like this on Sunday mornings. This is fellowshipping together, seeing that uh, we are together. We're united in Christ. But this also means eating a meal together, talking about Jesus together, being in men's group and women's group and a small group and growing deeply in relationship with one another. A disciple is one who is not only being discipled, but who is also discipling others. And I think we often think discipleship is calling someone to sit under you because you're just really awesome and you have it all together. It's not what it is. That's not, we're not awesome. No, not one is good. Um, but Jesus is. Discipleship is helping one another grow in the Lord. It's, it's living faithfully to the calling in which we're called and helping one another do the same thing. It's encouraging each other. It's building each other up with the word. We need fellowship. We need each other to speak the word in our lives. Because a lot of times we're, we're in our own minds and we forget the word. And I need someone to say, hey, remember what the word says. Remember who you are in Christ. We need fellowship. Thirdly, the disciple of Jesus is a person of prayer. And they devoted themselves to the prayer. So not the apostles were not the only ones that needed to pray. And, and the elders in the church are not the only ones that need to pray. The whole body needs to be praying. We need to pray at all times. Pray without ceasing. Pray when you're anxious and when you're happy and when you're sad. And pray prayers of supplication and intercession and thanksgiving. Uh, we're to pray for and with our families and, and our friends and our church and our community and our government. Prayer, again, is acknowledging that we don't have the power to change one heart, one mind, one situation, but God is in control and he loves to answer the prayer of his people. We need to be people of prayer. The disciple of Jesus Christ devotes themselves to prayer. Fourth, disciples are to be generous. They were selling all their possessions. Like I said, when we went through that, you don't have to sell everything. That's not what that means and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were generous. We, again, we saw it in Acts 4. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as owners of land and houses sold them and, bought, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, um, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. The disciple of Jesus Christ is not bound by the things that they have. They're not so tight-fisted with everything that they have that they cannot provide for those 
around them. A disciple of Jesus Christ is generous. Fifth, the disciples are to be obedient to the word. We see in verse 7 here. Oh, I'm in Timothy. Verse 7, the word of God continued to increase. The numbers of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many priests became obedient to the faith. Or to become obedient to the word of God. That means playing your part. That means volunteering when, when you can and where you can. Sharing the gospel and living the gospel and being hospitable and, and so on and so on. There's so many things that Jesus says we could be doing. Sixth, and this is very important to this passage especially, disciples are to be peacemakers. Peacemakers, not peacekeepers. That's totally different. Peacekeepers, they just kind of, uh, they don't worry about uh, dealing with issues. Peacemakers actually um, have to be actively engaged. So look at verses 1 and 2 again. The disciples were increasing in number. Uh, a complaint by the Hellenists, or it arose against the Hebrews because the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve table. So they recognize that there's an issue and they immediately go to make peace. And everyone else, they include them in it. We're going to make peace. As a congregation, they say, we're going to make peace. Now, if everyone said, no, thank you, um, you just figure it out. That's not uh, participating in peacemaking. They involve the whole church and they say, we're going to deal with this issue. The disciple of Jesus Christ is a peacemaker. One commentator wrote, The satisfactory resolution of the conflict in the Jerusalem church made it possible for this ministry of the gospel to flourish and the church growth to take place even more rapidly. We must strive for constant unity. And a lot of times that means calling out and dealing with problems that arise, as uncomfortable as that is, trust me. So when our priorities are straight and everyone is playing their part, the word of God continues to increase. Look at verse 7 again. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The increase of the word is, is in direct correlation to the church's obedience. Not that it depended on the church's obedience. Um, that would be replacing God's role. It doesn't depend, but God uses his church. He decides to use the obedience of the people in the church, his body, to grow the church. As a disciple, as you become obedient, you increase in your knowledge and your obedience to the word, and the word increases individually in your heart and in your mind. The local church, it, it starts to grow numerically around us as it sees and hears the word, and the word increases in the disciples around us making more and more disciples. The universal church, the word of God increases in the universal church because we are obedient and send missionaries out to foreign lands who have not heard the gospel and the word of God increases just as he proclaimed it would. 
And the increase of the word of God is in direct correlation with the Lord's promise to save his people and build his church. Jesus tells Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Jesus wasn't saying, on your back, Peter, I'm going to build my church. He's not saying that you are the beginning. He's saying that the confession of Jesus Christ as the Messiah is what he's going to build the church on. That's what he said just previously in Matthew 16. But who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood does not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He says, at that proclamation, I'm going to build my church, that I'm the king, that I'm the Messiah. And I want you to notice in, in Acts 6, verse 7, that Luke makes sure that we understand and that we see that a great number, a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The priests that had been saying, he's not the Messiah. The priests who had been persecuting him. This reveals the Lord's faithfulness to his people. The Jewish people had turned their backs on him. They've diverted their eyes for years. They've been disobedient. They had failed to obey the Lord. But now Jesus is turning their hearts around. He's showing them that he is the actual Messiah. He's bringing them to repentance. He's building his church. The word of God is powerful, church. It can even turn those who are dead set on one way around to follow Christ. We need to hear this promise. We need to believe it. We need to live it. Jesus will build his church. So we can confidently live for Christ, tell others of his grace and mercy, and know He's going to build his church. The increase of the word, is, it's not just a numerical increase. It's, it creates true disciples. Look at the text again. They became obedient to the faith. True disciples, true, truly changed. Sure, the Jerusalem church came to thousands of believers, but that's not the point they're making. We're not looking to get huge for the sake of, of having a lot of people and, and being the hip place to go. That's not the, the direction or the desire of the church. We're looking to make as many true disciples of Jesus Christ as we can. And true disciples are people who receive Jesus by faith, but also those who become new creations, who become obedient to the word of God. They've been changed. A little at a time. We're not perfect. My wife could tell you that's for sure. Sometimes it's super slow, but we're being made new. And this obedience, it's not legalism. It's a new life. We're new creations. Our sinful nature is dead. Our minds are no longer being conformed. They're now being transformed to look like Jesus. I pray that it's said of us and the disciples that we make that they became obedient to the faith. So church, we have to ensure that our priorities are straight, 
that we need to, yes, serve the community around us, serve one another, but we also must preach the word and bathe everything in prayer. Our gospel proclamation goes hand in hand with gospel application. We cannot just be a church that preaches. Uh, We cannot just be a church that serves. We have to become more like Christ who melded those together perfectly. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, I have never played my part or I have failed at playing my part as a disciple, as a believer, as a leader in the church, this morning is the time to say, I repent, I'm going to ask for forgiveness, I'm going to seek the Spirit of God to lead me, to to do what He needs to do to empower me to change so that I can live for Christ, so that what I proclaim is true, I also live as truth. May we become more and more obedient to the faith so that the kingdom of God will continue to grow in our community greatly. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your patience with us. I thank you that, Jesus, you died, and it's in your righteousness alone that we are children of God. And I pray that we remember that as your people, that we're not, we're not living or working or obeying to, to gain your favor. We are accepted in Christ. But in that acceptance, in that, in that reality that we're made new, I pray that we would live in, in obedience. That we would realize that we, yes, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit and, and can live out the calling that you've called us to. Lord, I pray as a church that we would prioritize what you prioritize. That we would see what's important and we wouldn't allow one thing to overrun the other. God, we love you. We need your help. Hour by hour, Holy Spirit, would you guide us and apply this to our lives? In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.